Welcome to episode 26 of the Coventry Telegraph podcast, While We Sing Together. In the second of a two-part special, I'm joined by Paul Wilson, who provided language services to the Sky Blues for over 10 years, back in the day when the club were able to afford to buy foreign players. Here he gives an insight into the famous Moroccans, Mustafa Hadji and Yusuf Chippo, and a crazy Italian goalkeeper as well. Talking of favourites, um, a couple of other favourites um, from the, the late 90s uh, were the Moroccan um, pair, Mustafa Hadji and Yusuf Chippo. Mm-hmm. Uh, fantastic players um, back in the day and yeah. made a real impact, didn't they, on the pitch? Absolutely. But, um, but characters as well, I mean... Um, you know, and, and I always remember the stories about um, Hadji. Um, he got a bruised foot, and he, he got some steak from the butchers yeah, and yeah. put it in his boots yes. um, to sort of cushion um, the bruising. And then there was another one that I heard. I don't know whether you heard this one, but um, apparently he was spotted in. I think he lived in Leamington, didn't he? Yeah. And he was spotted in one of the supermarkets opening jars of mustard and. Dipping his finger in and having a taste, and just putting the lid back on and putting them back on the shelf. <laughs> I mean, the, these are things that people do in in other countries. You know, he grew up in France, <coughs> Moroccan uh, parents. So uh, I think that those are good examples of you know just things that are cultural norms for players who come from other countries. Mm. Um, for for UK eyes and and sort of cultural values, it's kind of a bit strange, but they, they were, yeah, uh, very charismatic kind of guys. The fact that they came together, uh, they gave the whole club a, a sort of impetus in that season, um, and that season was when the team was regularly scoring three and four goals at home, rolling teams over. Uh, just for fun uh, although they weren't winning away I seem to remember uh, that season um, but both of them were, were very grounded kind of guys so they, they were in the national team from Morocco they played in the uh, 98 World Cup finals Hadji had been arguably one of the, the players of the tournament mm. but he was very kind of down to earth um, he he would take time to talk to people. Uh, he'd spend time just sort of uh, drinking tea uh, in his home and and chatting. Um, we didn't just do uh, a language lesson and then finish. We'd we'd sort of sit around and have a chat around the, the, the kitchen table. So yeah, um, just a, a very nice guy, grounded. Um, obviously, very talented on the pitch. Uh, and the same went for for Chipo as well. Um, so yeah, it, that season I think was um, with uh, Robbie Keane, obviously as well. Mm. That 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 team uh, was was something pretty special. Mm. Oh, the one thing I remember about um, Chipo was. Um he always had a, this lovely smile, didn't he? And he always, he played with a smile on his face, and you know mm-hmm. he was tenacious in the tackle and all that yeah. sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And such a hard-working and fit lad, but um, always had a smile on his face and yeah. um, a really really nice guy, wasn't he? He was, yeah. Um, so I think both of them became quite well known uh, in Leamington and in Cafe Rouge, where they were regulars. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I suppose that, that neither was. Um, Particularly domesticated, so that so they'd live their, uh, their their sort of afternoons and evenings in in restaurants and cafes in, mm-hmm. in Leamington. Um, 
Did they house share then? Or no, share? no. Um, so no, they had separate houses, but um, they, they'd often meet up, and, and Mo uh, was living nearby as well. Um, yeah, uh, the, there were just I think organising the everyday stuff was sometimes the, <laughs> the mm. challenge for them. So uh, sometimes uh, a cleaner would would give me a call and say, "Look." I'm really not doing this anymore because the, 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 the states that they'd left their kitchen or the, the, sometimes the, they'd gone off on international duty and yeah, the, the, they would leave the, the house absolute state. Uh, and Typical even, young guys, I suppose. Well, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But, but they, did, um, they didn't have their wives or partners with them at the time? or uh, So um, I think Mustafa's partner came over from time to time. Uh, Yusef was was I think single at that time, so um, so yeah, it was the it was all the, the sort of domestic stuff and the the everyday stuff that, that needed the support for them. <laughs> and uh, well, we go from the sublime to the ridiculous. Um, <laughs> Raphael Nuzzo, the Italian goalkeeper, who came on loan from Inter Milan and played one game, uh, League Cup game at Tramia, and they yeah. lost five one. Absolutely, that. That was his yeah one and only appearance. So uh, yeah, he he came over at the same time as Mustafa and Youssef. So we we had some really good uh, language classes together um, early on in that season. But um, but that infamous um, defeat at Tranmere was I think laid at uh, Raphael's door uh, largely. So. Um, I think at that point, um, yeah, the, the, the club decided that he wasn't really kind of up to scratch uh, as a keeper. So, so yeah, he was uh, probably one of the briefest stays among the players that I worked with. Well, what was he like? I mean, you know, goalkeepers are known to be uh, characters, aren't they? He was, he was a bit mad. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, so, so language classes were, were definitely entertaining. Um, uh, so we, we'd often sort of fall into maybe using uh, a bit of Spanish or Italian if we needed to in, in the class. Um, but Raphael, yeah, um, added a lot of colour. He was quite an expansive character, uh, as a lot of goalkeepers are. Um, but um, yeah, unfortunately that, that game at Tranmere. Yeah, um, that did for him. Did for him, yeah. yeah. Now moving to um, 2000 um, and uh, City started looking a bit further afield for, for, for players um, and we had uh, Israel Zuniga was uh, Peruvian wasn't he, mm-hmm. um, Peruvian yeah. striker, yeah. Um, came from Malgar and mm-hmm. 22 caps per, for Peru. Mm-hmm. Um, I read yesterday that you trained as a dental technician before football, do you know like that? I don't think I did actually, <laughs> no, uh, no I, I don't think I ever found that out. His nickname was Cheeky, wasn't it? Do you remember it was Cheeky because he had quite high cheek Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so he he came with, yeah, um, certainly within Peru, a very high profile. Um, he'd scored goals in the Copa America, um, was playing, scoring goals for fun for his club. I think in those days, quite often um, scouting was done before before the the, the real age of the internet and, and YouTube and so on. Um, quite often done by sort of videos, mm. um, and that was all down to the the, <coughs> pit, the pitch 
put forward by the players' agents. So, yeah, he, he was coming with this pedigree of uh, playing international football and scoring goals in, in his league. But it was just a, a very big leap to make. So he'd not been to Europe before. Mm. Um, he, he was one of the players who I think spent probably two or three weeks when he arrived uh, in a hotel room, uh, which was difficult. To, to really make that transition into, into life in UK. Um, his wife came over and, and joined him. I think he was expecting from what his agent maybe had given him that, that he'd be stepping into the first team and playing regularly, having that opportunity, which, which didn't materialise. Um, although I remember he, he scored a goal early on uh, against Bradford in that 99... 99-2000 season um, so there were signs that he might be able to make that transition but um, I think not playing first team football was was difficult for him because I think his expectations were yeah I'm going to the Premier League I'm going yeah. to be playing regularly uh, and hopefully scoring goals so when he did get the opportunity it was coming on as a, a sub late in the game, uh, unable maybe to make a difference, mm. playing reserve team football um, on a Tuesday night mm. somewhere uh, in, in the rain. So yeah, it, it, his trajectory just didn't yeah. kind of take off somehow. Because mm. um, yeah, it's one thing sort of coming from from Europe, isn't it, and uh, and sort of trying to adapt and with all the cultural differences, but you know, it's come from South America. I mean, it's just uh, it's a w- worlds apart, aren't they? It, know, it the, is the weather for one thing. Yeah, no, uh, of course, people say you know the the, the weather and the food uh, are the, the the two big things, uh, as well as the language. Um, these these were players often in their very early twenties, mm. you know, twenty twenty one years old. Um, you know, they, they'd only known uh, leaving school, playing for a football club for a couple of years, um, being successful, and then to to land in a a country that's so different um, in in all kind of ways. Then um, that's difficult, I think, as a yeah. as a setting to to then play your best football. And and I saw the the videos of him playing for Peru, scoring really spectacular goals and thinking wow you know mm. this, this this guy can really play um but just not getting that opportunity somehow mm. um and with with israel uh we work pretty hard uh, together to to improve his language and it, it did improve but maybe that, that that's difficult at the early days when and the players arrived and didn't have a lot of english so they just weren't able to make those kind of connections mm. early on, and then they're always kind of working from a deficit kind yeah. of position. Mm. Um, and especially yeah. if if things are not really working out on the pitch, then uh, that that sort of difficult challenge, I think. Yeah. yeah. And next up, we're um, a couple of Hondurans, which I, I guess is in terms of their settling is, is a good thing that you know you get two together mm-hmm. um, but Ivan Guerrero and uh, Jairo Martinez and um, Ivan was a, a full back who actually went on to have a, a very successful career in the MLS um, mm-hmm. 
and uh, and Jairo Martinez was uh, a striker. Yeah. Um, but and I'm not sure how much Gordon Strachan had to do with them coming to the club. There, there was there was some discussion as to yeah uh, what was the basis who who'd actually seen them play uh, was it just on video evidence mm. or, or whatever uh, or was it a persuasive agent that managed to uh, persuade the club to to take them on a- again very successful both in their national team Jairo mm. uh, scoring goals Ivan uh, as you say a right back but they, they arrived in, I think it was around the October, November of, of the season that, that we were relegated. Uh, and they, they were not really well prepared for, for the whole transition, I mm. think. Um, language-wise, they, they had very little. Um, their, their agent had sort of, in their eyes, I think had sort of set up this, this fantastic opportunity uh, and and maybe raising their expectations as to how much first team football they'd be playing. Um, their national manager um, Mara Diaga, who played in the '82 World Cup, so he was a sort of Honduran hero who uh, uh, played in the World Cup in '82. Was now their national manager. He came over and was kind of uh, really. Uh, Sort of putting the pressure on them to, to, to play well, to, to get into the team, uh, and then obviously, you know, in terms of their development for the national team. So, th- these two guys were really young. Um, I think Hira's partner was, was 19, the Hira was 20, 21 at the time. Um, uh, that's just so difficult, I think, yeah. with my own children. Yeah. Uh, who have um, spent a year in, in Spain and, and daughter in Canada uh, and those those are sort of manageable transitions but but for these guys yeah. um, to to come to a different continent with everything different um, yeah I, I think that they they have been given slightly unrealistic expectations by yeah. by their agent um, I do recall at one point, Driving th- through Bell Green, and their agent was with them, uh, with Hira and Ivan, and asked to stop at a news agent. Uh, and we went in, and he bought the whole shop stock of football stickers <laughs> because because <laughs> he wanted to. He bought all the albums uh, to put them in as well, but he bought these great big boxes of football stickers because he was going to take them home, and uh, that was his. Kind of momentum of, of the Premier League, so yeah, we had there were lots of incidents which were kind of uh, talking with Andy Harvey and, and others at the time. Uh, we were there to support them, um, but there were always kind of incidents that, that kind of brought out the differences. Um, some of which were were humorous, um, uh, and and yeah. Uh, but brought home the, the 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 leap that I think they had to make. Yeah. I think I, you were saying earlier. I think Ivan, um, one of his first games, um, he had to mark David Beckham. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, um, <coughs> in October or November uh, two thousand, I think. Um, so yeah, he he was it was one of his first games against Man United at home, and of course you know for him. 
fantastic opportunity, but um, not being up to speed with the with the the way that football was played in in mm. in the Premier League at that time, I think he just found the whole pace of it really difficult. Mm. I think he he quitted himself well. You know, he he was always ready then to you know put challenges in. But the whole sort of uh, positioning and style of play um, was just so different for him mm. that um, wasn't very big, was he? He was quite a slight. He was quite quite a yeah. He yeah. He was um, he made up for for lack of height in terms of you know he was quite a combative kind of tackler yeah um, and quite quick as well. Hiro mm. um, yeah he Hiro had some criticism I think for maybe his um, his fitness at different times that he was struggling with um, but yeah the, the, they maybe just had expectations that mm. didn't quite fit with yeah. with the reality because um, yeah, I think Ivan only played seven games and um, Hiro played 11 games got three goals actually but um, before they went back yeah so uh, yeah I think um, uh, the season following was in the, the championship um, was when Hiro started playing more regularly but um, but by that time I think he was looking at uh, should I go on loan out to Grimsby or somewhere else which um, showed that his trajectory just wasn't really yeah. going in the right yeah. direction so yeah. yeah and another successful one that, um, that the football club enjoyed um, was Yusuf Safri um, another Moroccan mm-hmm. Uh, played 91 games, one goal, um, 77 caps for his country, nine goals, and went on to have um, a decent career at Norwich and Southampton. Mm-hmm. What, what was um, Yusuf like? Because he was another um, very quiet character, wasn't he? He was. He came across as as quite quiet, but very grounded, uh, very uh, a really nice guy um, who was here to really improve himself worked hard I think in his football yeah. and that showed also in his sort of dedication to improving his English as well so uh, one of the few players that would do homework in between lessons uh, and it showed I think in, in the way that his language uh, improved while, while he was at the club um, yeah he on the pitch I think his his presence was was always just really strong. Mm. He scored, I think, that goal against Sheffield Wednesday, if I remember rightly. The free kick yeah. was his solitary goal, um, but was a, a regular in the Moroccan national team. So, sort of following in the footsteps. I think he did overlap a little bit with Mustafa and, and Youssef Shipo. Um, so, yeah, a, a very very good player. Um, it was unfortunate that maybe the trajectory of the club at that point was yeah. was not not so good. So it was quite a difficult time to be playing within the team. But but his contribution was always a hundred percent and uh, tough tackling. Um, didn't take any any rubbish from opponents. Mm. I think he got sent off at Gillingham uh, once when he just. I think he'd been uh, just taken out several times mm-hmm. and, and just just lost his rag. Um, but that was one of the few times that um, that he he lost his discipline. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he went on to Norwich. Um, 
and was successful there. Um, and then, as you say, um, he's, I think he's now working in, in management uh, successfully. So, so yeah, um, he, he was probably one of the guys who, who really worked hardest at his language mm -hmm. and saw that, that developing his English was, was a way to be able to connect with people, mm -hmm. uh, to be able to uh, have more social interaction as well. Mm -hmm. So, um, mm -hmm. so, yeah. Next up, Fabien de Beck, French keeper. Played 11 games. <laughs> what was <laughs> Fabien like? Um, so I, I, I didn't really <clears throat> work with him uh, as much as maybe some of the other players. But, um, yeah, uh, the, those early seasons, once we'd been relegated, there, were, there was quite a high turnover of players. He wasn't first choice, I think. So, again, a player that was playing a lot of reserve team football. Did he come in under Gary McAllister? Was I think it was, yeah. yeah. So... I think it would have been, yeah. So Alan Hodgkinson would have been uh, the late Alan Hodgkinson would have been goalkeeping coach at the time, wouldn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I think he acquitted himself well when he when he got the chance in the first team, but um, but never got a, a, a really regular run to to establish himself. So um, interesting that although he was French, um, then. His his English language level was was quite low when he arrived, so uh, it's not just the South American players and Central American players who maybe arrived with little English. Mm. Um, of course, there are other players like George Botang and Roland Nielsen, whose English was was fantastic um, from Northern Europe. But other Northern Europeans would arrive, you know, maybe speaking very little. Mm. So. Uh, I, I always saw that that put them at a disadvantage, um, whether it was on the training ground or uh, sort of in social situations as well. Mm. But um, but yeah, he, he was another guy who whose stay was brief. Mm. And so did did they come into a classroom situation at the club? Is that where you did the, le the lessons or did you go to their homes? Uh, so most of the uh, teaching was done in the homes. Mm. Um, so fairly relaxed although um, yeah I invested in a, a whiteboard that I'd carry around um, we used the computer sometimes um, but that that was the best setting so that it um, it was as relaxed as possible mm. um, but quite often yeah we we'd just find a quiet space in the dining room or somewhere uh, sometimes interrupted by uh, toddlers and phone calls and uh, lots of other things but um, I think there were a couple of occasions where we, we did some classes at the training ground maybe with some of the, the younger players um, but no I think just doing it in a relaxed setting as possible um, was was the best way um, and did you have to report back to you know the manager I mean, did you have to sort of go back to Gordon Shrack and then see him like, once a month or something and give him a progress report the, there was informal yeah informal feedback um, with with Gordon Strachan and then Graham Hover was uh, helping to to support the, the mm. whole kind of process as well um, and Andy Harvey so yeah it was um, reporting back on on okay this is how we're going this is uh, this is how many classes we've done. Um, this is where we are now. This is where we hope to be. 
in a couple of months' time. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I think to me the the club saw the need. It was at a time when uh, Premier League was changing with yeah. a much higher number of overseas players. Mm. Um, so, so the whole nature of the the game was changing with. Uh, Arsene Wenger coming in as a manager, doing things differently. Um, so yeah, I think the the, the club were, were good in in seeing the need. It it, it didn't work out in lots of cases, mm. uh, and whether that was down to uh, the recruitment or expectations or or, or other reasons, I don't know. But. Um, uh, it was another way of trying to gain an advantage other than having lots and lots of money to invest in players. Mm, mm. So as a recruitment policy, it, it was, I think, intended to find relatively cheap players from other leagues um, and, and hope that they could be developed mm. into successful Premier League players. Because back in the day, they had a European scout as well, didn't they? There was, yeah. Um, so... Um, so there, there were you know, lots and lots of players coming in uh, briefly, uh, as well as the people that, that I worked with. Um, and even for um, Robert Yarney, I, I had a meeting to uh, set up some classes, but of course that whole <laughs> deal uh, didn't materialise for, for whatever reason. Do you know what the reason was? No, I wasn't party to it, although I did um, help the club to um, make phone calls to, to Spain because Spanish is my main mm. second language. Uh, so with, with the chairman of, of Betis, who, um, yeah, who had quite a reputation for being someone sort of driving it a very hard bargain because mm. um, they so actually made money on him didn't they without him even kicking I, I understand that that was the case yeah. but um, I, I wasn't party to, to all of the, yeah. the sort of uh, financial side of it but um, certainly the one theory was that um, that Betis didn't really want to sell him directly to Real Madrid yeah. so Coventry were in some way kind of used as a, a kind of stepping stone mm. But if the club made some money, then great. But um, but yeah, he he made a a brief appearance at, at a pre-season friendly. I remember mm. and uh, met him and said, "Look, would you like to do some English?" And he's saying, "Yeah, that's great." Mm. And then, of course, within a few days. Uh, yeah, because the other theory was that his his wife turned up, took one look at Coventry, thought, <laughs> "We ain't living here." So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's a possibility. <laughs> The choice between uh, Madrid and Coventry, <laughs> uh, but who knows? Um, so no, I, I, although I was supporting the club sort of on the language side, uh, then I, I wasn't uh, privy to the no, to the whole no, sort no. of negotiation part. And the last player that I think you um, had involved was Vicente Engonga. Uh, a Spanish lad, a Spanish midfielder, wasn't he? Who um, came from Oviedo, I think it was. Yeah, he, he on loan. I think it was eight games on loan. Yeah, so he was towards the end of his career. Um, yeah, because he'd made over three hundred appearances in La Liga. Yeah, he? no, no, he he 
was and still is a real hero at uh, Real Mallorca, mm. where I think he played most of his career. And I think he'd been one of the first black players to represent Spain in the national team. Um, his stay was, was brief. And I suppose that there is a bit of running theme <laughs> in some of the, the players that I've worked with. But um, yeah, in, in the short time that I worked with him, uh, he, yeah, he wanted to improve his English. He saw it as part of being successful. Um, I do remember that he, he looked a very good player, even though he was into his 30s, I think, when mm. he came. Uh, but... Um, yeah, he, his stay was, was relatively brief at that time after relegation. It seemed to be part of the, the kind of um, very fast sort of uh, throughput of players yeah. um, that were coming and going. But um, so, uh, yeah, I think that once we had been relegated, clearly the, there was not the, uh, the funds to be able to... Uh, to look to high quality mm. players that we'd been buying in the in the nineties and um, the, the Moroccan guys, for example. Um, so I think it was the the beginning then of, of uh, looking more towards UK uh, or mm. other sort of nearby countries to um, to recruit from. Mm. Do you keep in touch with any of them? Occasionally. Um, s- not not in any uh, great way, but just occasionally um, uh, with Yusuf Safri. Um, so yeah, while, while he was at Norwich, he, he invited me and my son to, to go and see a game. Uh, and with with Mo, although I haven't been in touch for a while, uh, we've said that we're going to meet up. Mm. So because um, we're been quite close to them, you know, for the short time that they were here. Yeah. No, I I think I. Yeah, I got to know them as, as people and not just footballers. Mm. Um, got to know their families, um, uh, helped them through situations where sometimes there was a, a player that, that had their, their parents visiting and then there was sort of healthcare issues that needed sorting out. Mm. So, so yeah, sort of sitting in A&E, <laughs> two in the morning with with the players parents um, you kind of get to know them pretty well um, but then of course you know they've, they've gone on to uh, further their career mm. uh, elsewhere and maybe move into management and other mm. other kind of roles but um, and were you their sort of first port of call you know almost on speed dial if, if there was an issue you know, something had happened at the training ground, or something. The manager had been cross, or something like that. Uh, and then you think, right, I'd better ring Paul and uh, maybe what, for, what for, for the football things. Um, Andy Harvey was was often there to, to mm. help them. But but yeah, I, I remember um, I was on more or less sort of on on call for for things that needed sorting, or uh, they were sort of in a bank and something wasn't sort of. Clear yeah. what they needed to do, um, but they were they were always really polite. That uh, quite often, South American guys would would call me Senor Paul, Mister Paul, and I'd say it's okay, just call me Paul. <laughs> but it was always Senor Paul. It was like a the kind of respect, yeah, uh, respectful kind of way of, of addressing me. Um, 
and yeah sometimes there were just small things that I needed to help them with uh, I just say well okay give give the phone to, to this the bank clerk and I'll, and I'll talk to them and, mm. and so it's usually relatively minor things but but other times yeah um, uh, a parent who was visiting and taken ill in the night and okay what, what do we do so okay we need to get down to to a and e so yeah um i i kind of got to know them uh, on a personal level and mm. saw them saw them trying to overcome these new challenges saw them being really well motivated um and yeah um i kind of felt uh, a responsibility mm. to to help them uh, part of that was to to really help them to play their best football but also just on a personal level just to be able to mm. to settle and uh, to to enjoy their their life away from the, the ground as well well thank you very much paul thank you mm. for uh, that um, fascinating insight into some of City's uh, uh, foreign stars uh, mm-hmm. of the past and uh, I appreciate your time. No, my thank pleasure. You.